You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Hey, welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, coming to you live from beautiful city of Portland, Oregon. We share stories that show again and again there is light at the end of every tunnel in life, that happiness and success are a state of mind, not the result of material gain. Don't get me wrong, material gain is fine, but it's really learning to cherish the journey with all the ups and downs that I call success. Our best guests on Felony Inc. have discovered the amazing power of accountability and have converted adversity to wisdom and a success mindset. Most of our guests have been convicted of felonies, but the lessons they've learned can be applied to anyone's quest for success. Owning up from my past mistakes and the willingness to work harder than anyone else, especially Lad, (laughs) have been essential to my own triumphs. If you're not willing to do that, might as well have, you know, winning the lottery or something as your life plan. That's how good your odds are. Positive change isn't easy, is it, Lad? Nope. What is transformation? It is a MFer. Oh, you weak (laughs) bastard. With me as usual today is my co-host, Lad Justison, whose claim to fame in prison was keistering Kebasa back to the cell block from kitchen, from the kitchen job he used to have. I haven't seen Laddie much this week, but he appears to be doing okay. What do you say, little buddy? <laughs> I don't I surprise remember. you with that one? I don't remember the Kebasa. 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 The L silent. It sounds like you're remembering something else, though. Yeah. I do. It wasn't Kebasa. It wasn't something else that was, like, shaped like that. It was kind of shaped like that, but... I didn't want to know about that. Okay. That's that's okay. Well, what's been happening, man? Well, you know, a lot of good things have been happening uh, with your business. It seems to be picking up a little bit. The old Discover African Art. Um, A lot of good stuff happening with that. Um, We're just... uh, been Too practicing, been practicing uh, the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last couple practices have actually been pretty doggone good. I, I'm, I'm impressed with how we're all coming together, and we have the big show on uh, on the four, you know the first coming up. On so New Year's, but, New Year's. Uh, that's New Year's Eve actually. It's well, the right into thirty first, and we'll probably do a couple things before that. Uh, but that's a big one. Anyway, we're called the Killer Granddaddies. That's right. And we have a lot of fun when we when we jam out. Um, well, is that all you got, dude? What else? I what? think you quit smoking, didn't you? I did for the last couple of days, and you know what? Yeah. Uh, on the eleventh was my thirty day no gambling. Wow. What about that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. No gambling and no little boys for thirty days. No little boys, so you're, right. you're safe. 
fantastic. That was a little off color, wasn't it? <laughs> has uh, has not being in the regimen of not gambling has that helped you not smoke at all? Do you think? Uh, well, you know, um, part of the reason why I decided to quit smoking is because I got a new girlfriend. And she doesn't like smoking. I mean, you know, she accepts me the way I am, but, you know, she admitted she don't like smoking. So, and I don't blame her. It smells terrible. So yeah. I just decided to uh, do it. You know, me and Dave have tried to quit smoking together time and time and time again. And we're Not just. Really. We haven't tried that hard. Oh, man. We just were the worst on each other. Doing anything with smoke, you. Is, he'll smoke. Doing anything with you is like a recipe for failure. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> all right. I gotta blame you for it. Our guest today, Jacob Hill, comes to us over the phone from England. He's an ex-offender who is now a professional speaker, and I got wind that he's starting a venture called Off Ploy, whose vision statement is to reduce reoffending and make society safer by placing people with criminal convictions into meaningful, mentored, and sustainable employment. Talked to him a little bit before we went on um, about that program, and there's four steps to that that are interesting and sound like just up my alley the way I think. Um, welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, Mr. Jacob Hill. How are you? Thank you very much, Dave and Laddie. I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's great to have you. I I spent a little time, I watched your video, um, I backed it up a little bit and watched it some more and uh yeah you, you you have a great personality and style and uh your experience is is unique so thank you um, i think you have a great uh great future what do you think i hope so yeah, yeah. i mean absolutely okay so that's your future i think we need to go back to uh the good old days that weren't so good probably some of them were and some of them weren't right Right, yeah. So, if um, we go back, how old are you, first of all? I'm 25 years old. Yeah, so you're one of those guys that apparently has learned some great lessons early. Hopefully, those are going to be good enough for you to just keep it going. Um, but if you go back, we go back, where does your story start? Okay, I know that you were an entrepreneur already, mm. and uh, there was uh, various levels of success there, probably. Right. Yeah, I think I've had um, I've, I've had uh, my own journey in, in that that you know I've I've always absolutely loved starting businesses. I've always wanted to be involved in a business. I'm, I'm terrible at working for other people, so yeah. I, I tend to lo lose my jobs pretty quickly when I, when I go and work somewhere else. Um, so I uh, when I was 19, I started a, a camping business for a music festival, um, which is everything you need to camp at a festival in one pack for 70 pounds. Uh, you could order it online, collect it at the festival, and the extra lazy people, uh, I don't know if that's you two, uh, could have it set up waiting for you. So you just turn up, it's all done and dusted, and everything you need to camp at a festival is done for you. Um, oh, yeah. That was kind of my, yeah. yeah have, well, that sounds like a good uh, product. How'd that go? <laughs> well, uh, you know, where were you guys a few years ago? So I could have done with you. Um, we, we ended up... Uh, starting this business up I, I got £300,000 investment I got all sorts of which awards which is like close to a half York. million uh, dollars I think it's somewhere up there yeah we've got a pretty good exchange rate I think um, <laughs> at the moment so uh, yeah I, th I think it is half a million it's roughly, roughly on that and mm. 
yeah, that's, I had all that before I was like 21 and then I became this young entrepreneur of the year. I Prince Andrew came and met me and gave me an award and I was on this trajectory uh, and I was thinking it was, life was going to go all all well and, and dandy and I thought everything was just going to work out, you know? Yeah, so, <clears throat> but um, as things go, I mean, the odds are... The odds are it's your first, uh, it's your first business, was it? Not exactly. You've done other little things before that, right? Yeah, a couple of smaller businesses, like hosting rock concerts in my local town, and uh, yeah, I was always, always okay with with that side of it all. And, and but it didn't go well. Um, I, I expected somewhere around nine hundred thousand pounds worth of sales, which is like I, I don't even know the maths on that in, in dollars. Mm. Have you got any idea? <laughs> yeah. And that would sounds like about thirteen, one point three million or so, whatever, one point four. Um, we ex- a, a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah, didn't we happen. We expected that. No, we we got about ninety thousand pounds worth of sales, <laughs> oh, no. so what, hundred and thirty, hundred and forty thousand dollars worth. Um, yeah. it, it it went really, really bad. Really, it went south really quickly. Um. But you took accountability for it. I mean, here you are, you're open about it, and you're talking about it. That's that's powerful to be able to be to to be able to admit a failure like that, because obviously you must have learned things from it, and uh, maybe you're still paying for it one way or another. You know, I don't know. Yeah. um, Yes. I mean, I think I think it's something I'll always carry around with me, and I know that you know it. When when we got to that amount of sales, when 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 the sales were so low, I had to let go of friends. I had to let go of family who worked for me in the business, and and I was at university and I was taking drugs. And uh, I made a decision to go to a music festival and, and sell drugs. And for me, that was that was the life altering moment because I was actually arrested at the festival and taken into the police station. And 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 this was when life really took a, a sharp left turn. And I didn't um, I didn't expect it. Well, I want to. Um, talk about you did I don't know if our listeners caught on to the fact that the reason or one of the reasons that you decided to do this this uh, illegal activity was the pressure that you had from from the mistake or the the failure of your other business right yeah yeah you're absolutely right yeah so um, the the, the big thing was the this £90,000 worth of sales where I needed to you know, I ended up in around two hundred and seventy to three hundred thousand pounds worth of debt, and uh, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I letting go of people was horrible. Um, I was stuck with all this stock I needed to sell. I had uh, investors to pay back, and and that that for me was crippling. It was crippling thinking I was getting all these. I was literally this. I became quite arrogant. I must admit, and I thought I was indestructible at the time, and it was. Yeah, that always of, that always works out. I just out. need to find a solution. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't. Um, and uh, I I, that. I, that was literally how I, I thought I was. I, I don't know. I thought, well, I'll go down this route because I'll pay off this debt. I'll get out. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, like I wasn't ever going to get arrested, or you know, like it was. Uh, it was something that for me just didn't seem an option that I was going to be arrested. It was yeah. it just shows kind of the level of insanity that goes through someone's mind thinking that 
yeah. somewhat smarter than the law. Yeah, <laughs> and you're not. so, at that point in your life, I mean, here you are, you don't really know your ass from the hole in the ground. I mean, excuse me if I'm a little off, little uh, <laughs> inaccurate there, but that's what I have my experience. Being, uh, you know, being ignorant yeah. and still thinking you know a lot is a recipe for disaster. I've yeah, done it many absolutely. times. Uh, absolutely. And so, I think it's, go ahead. it's it's about learning those lessons in life, isn't it? And uh, it is. I see a lot of young young men now that I speak to who have this kind of shoot from the hip arrogance of, of no consequence and, and that, you know, it's brilliant that, you know, some people are so driven and determined that we, we need to be thinking about what the consequences are of, of those bad actions. Um, yeah, I feel I feel like this is a, uh, sorry, a, a criminal justice victim awareness session, but uh, I just wanted to share that, you know, it, no, that's, it is a... It that's is a, a lot of what this yeah. show is about. I mean, we we want to talk about things that, that matter. So sometimes it's about uh, your business. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's about your impact that you've had. And, you know, it's, there's just so many aspects to this show. So please feel free to to share any insights that you have in your experience. Um, I yeah. know that, uh, okay, so tell us about getting busted then. Tell us about how that all, you know, that part of the story. Uh. Yeah, so this is a. It 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 sounds like a um, like some form of novel, but it was the. It, it literally was a rainy, dark Saturday night, um, and uh, I was I was at a music festival, and uh, I had I had drugs on me. Uh, I had MDMA, which is ecstasy, and I had weed, um, marijuana, and um, I. Uh, undercover security came to me. Uh, I didn't know they were undercover. Uh, they asked me for, for drugs, I, so obviously I, I offered this, and uh, then they identified that they were undercover security. Nice. Now, earlier that night, earlier that night for me, I, this is this is the God's honest truth. It was the first time I'd ever taken MDMA myself, um, and I'd done all sorts of drugs before, but I, I, I got some on the off chance from this festival that I was intending to go on and sell, and. Uh, uh, I tried to run from these guys and I don't know if you've done MDMA or ecstasy but after a, a gram of that you you have no bodily functions left you can't do anything and I, I, I uh, my legs went and I, I had this is, this is what my parents call ironic um, I was running through the festival and I fell over a tent and it says so much that I had a camping business and, I, and that, that was failing and that was falling down and, and then I fell over the very products we were selling um, and it was just absolutely kind of for my for my you know for my, my, my parents think it was like some form of sick justice uh, or yeah. kind of like lesson in life well um, you know I bet uh, your parents I'm betting your parents and we'll get we gotta talk about your parents a little bit but uh, I bet your yeah. parents being good parents that they seem to be they were like oh my god I'm glad he got busted so early and you know, yeah. maybe yeah, you've got it. You've got it. <laughs> he's the kind of kid that he's a good kid. He just needs to, you know, he just needs to learn a lesson or two. And hopefully, this was it. But absolutely, um, I, let's talk about yeah. your parents a little bit because this is ironic as well. Tell yeah, us about of course. Them. I mean, the, I think I think it, the, the the festival arrest ties ties into my parents really well because. It was as I was being taken out of the festival, 
um, that there's like this this table of people. There's like people who are evicting you from the festival, and they might be ex magistrate judges, um, or, or they might be uh, ex police officers, and they work at the festival and they log down everyone who's been evicted and why they've been evicted. They're not the police. They hand you over to the police. Um, and they took my ID down, my name and this, that, the other, and the guy said, Jacob Hill, you're not, and he said my mum's name, he said, you're not her son, are you? And I said, how do you know my mum? And he said, well, I've worked with her for 25 years in the police you, and then he, he swore at me. Because um, my mum was uh, a police officer, she's, she's a retired police officer uh, at the time of my arrest. And that, that for me, was a real kind of, Oh, oh heck! What have I done? Um, and then, and then, as I was thrown in the back of the police van, taken to the police station, and having to spend eighteen hours in the police cell with the the foam mattress on the concrete bed, with the toilet, with the camera that looks at the toilet, and all this horrible stuff that I've never kind of experienced in my life, I was thinking, oh, how bad for me? When my dad was getting his house raided, and my dad's an ex-drugs investigator retired, and now, he now say we, we have to slow that down a little bit for our listeners because you, oh, your accent and you, um, <laughs> his dad, Jacob's dad, was a retired drug drugs investigator. His mom was a cop, and this is how things are going for for Jacob. So go ahead. Absolutely, I'll I'll will <laughs> try talk a bit slower as well. I appreciate no, I talk a bit. Yeah, faster. I can understand <laughs> most of it, but a lot of people don't know your story, so I just wanted to clarify. Thank you. Um, so so I, I was in I was in the police cell uh, in the police station, and Dad was getting his house raided. Mum was getting her house raided by the police team, checking everything what I was up to, uh, looking through all my stuff, looking through, you know, it was, it was just well, for I hope them. Your, hope for your them parents spent... didn't have any illegal stuff in there. <laughs> I wouldn't like to comment, but I, I don't think any of it did. <laughs> Certainly nothing was found. Um, um, and for, for, for my parents, you know, my mum had spent 25 years working in the police. She literally works on the streets, on the beats, as they call it, where... She was walking around arresting bad guys, proper cops and robbers. Um, and my dad was, uh, he worked, as I say, for the drugs investigation unit, looking for people bringing in kilos of drugs and real serious stuff. And they found out that their son was arrested with five grams of Class A drugs, uh, 5.62, I think it was, of, of Class A drugs, and seven ounces of marijuana. Um, so um, they... They've, they've done all this big work their whole life putting people away and their son is nothing more than a petty drug dealer um, you can imagine for them it was an absolute horrific horrific shock and a horrific experience but yeah. you know who were the first people to come and pick me up from the police station they it was they were they yeah, understood I mean what, as parents they probably think oh what what mistakes did we make here you know that's what a parent often will think but you know, I mean, your your character isn't. You don't. You weren't really a bad guy, right? You just kind of went through a moment. They, I think they were just. They were. You know, their son had gone to college. He'd gone to university. I did mm-hmm. music lessons. I've done every. I've had everything I ever wanted in life. You know, I, and and it was, it was actually going to prison and meeting people who didn't have everything in life 
and me sitting side by side for both of them, that I was embarrassed to be there, that, you know, I'd, I'd had everything in the world. And these guys in there who were actively addicted to heroin, who, as uh, parents, you know, they didn't really know themselves. They were in care. They, and, and they still ended up in there. And, and, and it's, it, it, it was embarrassing for me that I'd, I'd allowed it to get to that because it's not fair that they've, they, they, if they had all the opportunities in the world, they might not have ended up in that situation. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Yeah. But, but you know, that's the yeah. whole, that's the luck of the draw, right? And, you know, one of the things that I always like to talk about is whatever we, whatever we're born with, that's, you know, we can't change that. Um, but we can change our minds and the way we react to things. We can, yeah. you know, create a, a better future and a better present, you know, so, uh, apparently, yeah. you know, you understand all that, and and you're all about seeing other people do the same. Absolutely. So, so that's great. I mean, I commend you for that. I I'm very much about that. Um, and to me, it's a natural thing once you've once you've started doing that. I mean, once once you've had this great turnaround in your life, and you. You've been like you didn't go to prison for a lot of lot of years, but you had enough. You had what I call a high bottom. You didn't I, you, a high bottom. Yeah, you didn't have to get. Uh, you didn't have to sink to being homeless and you know all these low things. You know, armed robberies and stuff like that um, to get by. Which means that you learned. Yeah. You you were smart enough to learn, and, and and a lot of that's probably because of your your background of being. Um, you know, being educated and all that kind of stuff, having good parents. It's like, hey, this is not part of the plan. I mean, I I made a mistake, and that's it. So, um, and you know, that's yeah. great. Lad's going to run his neck for a minute, though, and then we'll get back. Well, we got to thank our sponsors, Jacob. So, CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. You can find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio and tell them Dave and Lad and All On sent you and we'll send you a special prize. Seriously, we will. Did you get permission to use Alan's name in that commercial? He's in there. Oh, okay. Because he's the one giving him the prize. He is? Well, I don't have anything. Uh, Do you got yeah, something? I don't either. What's going on with that? We don't even know what we're giving them. No. Yeah, it's uh, Mardi Gras beads. That's what we got this week. Nice. Oh, nice. Mardi Gras. All right. So back to Jacob. We, you know, we're having... We kind of got to where you were getting arrested, and um, you're sitting there. So, so how did things go from there? Getting getting arrested, obviously, not not pleasant at all. Um, my parents picked me up from the station; they were an incredible support. But they, they did honestly pick me up over the coming months when I was having to turn up to court to present myself to say, you know, in, in the UK, you have to go to the magistrate's court first of all. And um, my offence was what was called an either-way offence, uh, which means uh, they could have chosen to deal with it at the magistrate or they could pass it up to the Crown Court, to the to the ones with, like, the judges and the juries. Um, and um, yeah, I pleaded guilty at the magistrates, and it's typical that they didn't want to deal with it, and they said, we're passing this to the Crown Court, which, you know, if, if you get sentenced at a magistrate, you could be 
you know, you're likely not looking at jail time, or, or if you are, it's, it's a maximum of 24 months. So, so you hope that it's going to stay at the magistrates, but, but it didn't. So I, I, I went up to the, the Crown Court and yet again pleaded guilty, so I didn't need the jury or anything like that. Um, and, and yes, uh, the, judge, the judge looked at me and he said, I can't make a decision today. I need two days to think about it. I'm sending you down, uh, and I'll call call you back up in two days. Uh, so my my bag was packed. I, I packed like I was going on a holiday with, you know, with like the miniature bottles, and I think I put my 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 running shorts in there, and and like you were going on an airplane. Clothes and yeah, yeah, just like I was going on an airplane, and, mm. and that's the only time I've ever packed for anything like that. And then this time I've, I've packed for that to go to. Um, a prison in the country, which in, in the UK is the second highest for suicides in the prison. Uh, and this was, you know, I've only ever watched the Shawshank Redemption or, or, or Prison Break or, or even Orange is the New Black as, as my kind of reference to what prison's like. Um, and yeah, that's the dramatic to, what, side. What would be the, <laughs> what's that, sir? It's the dramatic side of prison, yeah. They, they, yeah. they like to, yeah. and, you know, most of the time it's not that dramatic, and, is it? No, not at all. Um, in, if anything, prison's mundane, it's boring, um, with with the odd kind of sprinkling of, of someone who, of many people who are addicted to drugs, of severe mental health issues, you know, we're putting the wrong people in prisons in the UK, but that's probably a, a different different topic conversation, I imagine, but it, it's... It's, it's going in there and going into prison for that first night, not knowing if I was going to be sentenced, um, and finding out that my cellmate was called Mr. Big. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I <tell> you, <laughs> was that <laughs> scary or what? <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. When, <laughs> when my only reference to films is, as I say, Shawshank Redemption, and my cellmate is Mr. Big, oh. I was... Um, yeah. I, and, and I'm I'm five foot ten. I'm skinny. Yeah. Uh, I have I have no 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 chance of fighting anyone. Uh, and I, I thought this is it. This is this is my time. Um, that's why Lad started getting into I, the kibaza a little bit. Well, that's funny. He, practiced, he was practicing for that's the, big, funny. the bigger stuff. Dave Dave actually calls me Mr. Big. So yeah. Wow. Uh, not so much. <laughs> not not so much. So back to the back to uh, you know the ground here. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, so you, um, were, you, you were, okay, tell us about what was next. Yeah, it, it turns out my cellmate was, you know, a, a really quite a significant drug dealer. Um, he, he was arrested for, I think, four million pounds worth of heroin and was on the run for How four many? years. Uh, so oh, four is, million pounds, okay. Uh, yeah. Four million pounds worth. Yeah. Yeah, not, not, not pounds a week. No, nah, yeah, uh, I the, understand. The, the, British pounds. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's the one. And um, he, he, um, he was he was a significant drug dealer. And where where you know, and, and he put on these soaps or these dramas on TV. And my first two hours in the prison was me sitting on the end of the bed, not saying a word, thinking this guy's going to beat the heck out of me uh, for for no reason at all. So I'm just going to stay quiet. And he put on these awful drama TV shows that I hated watching. Uh, but I, I didn't say anything. Then all of a sudden, he stood up. He said, my name's Stephen. Do you want to watch some Breaking Bad? <laughs> and, uh, two. <laughs> so that, I wouldn't say it was the best best, uh, best choice of, of TV show, given why we were both in there. But um, for, for, for me, the first two weeks of prison were, were, were 
sitting behind a locked door, watching Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is a, a good way to to feel like other like you're not as stupid as you think. You know, you see stuff on Breaking so, Bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Breaking Bad is. I've watched it all the way through twice. Um, I'm not yeah. saying it did me any good. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it wasn't <laughs> the best influence. Well, no, obviously not. And I mean, to get so technical in the show, you're right. It does make you feel a bit more intelligent when you watch it. I think, yeah. I think, Dave, I'm on my third time round now watching it, so I need to stop watching that show. I enjoy it. I enjoy how how well it's made. But watching it in in, in prison was it felt a bit weird, if I'm honest. Um, and and anyway, two days later, I was brought back up to the dock. I hadn't really showered because uh, I didn't feel safe going in the showers. I got to wear my suit that they. <laughs> crunched up into my prison box. Uh, I looked a mess. I looked a mess. Uh, and and I, I was in the dock, hoping, hoping that he was just going to scare me. You know, I'll, I'll send the boy down for two days, teach him a lesson, and then let him go home. Um, and and he said, I'm, I'm sentencing you to 28 months in custody. Uh, uh, shocking, and, and that was like, like you hear, you see my mum crying, you see family, you see, that's horrible and that was the last I saw of them and even spoke to them for a week uh, two weeks I think it was until they could come and visit so you can imagine the anxiety uh, what you just left with how your family are doing uh, and especially how's Jacob doing how are they worried about me are they you know they, they, they were obviously terrified wanting to know how I was getting on um, really yeah really tough time was the first two weeks so you uh, at this point you know what are you thinking? Uh, what, what do you What do you think your outlook is? Are you just like, oh my God, there's no light at the end of the tunnel? Um, this is so dark. Uh, uh, were you having nightmares? I mean, what kind of what were your days like? Uh, so, when you're sent down from the dock, you have to go down like three three flights of steps, and I was handcuffed to the bailiff. The guy was called Keith. I remember him. Um, <laughs> And by the time I got to the bottom of the steps, I'd worked out, okay, if I don't do anything to extend my sentence, they'll let me out in 14 months. If I prove that I've got a safe place to go back to and I behave whilst inside, that'll get another four and a half months off and I'll get a tag on my, my wrist, on my ankle. Uh, so I could be out in nine and a half months, 294 days or 42 weeks if I do that. <laughs> and, 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 and then... So that was by the time I got to the bottom of the steps. Um, and that, for me, was the start of the counting down of my sentence and thinking, OK, what the hell do I do with the rest of my life uh, if, this is, if this is what's going to happen? You know, in the UK, um, we have something a bit different to you guys. We have the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act, uh, which, which means that to certain lengths of sentence, uh, you, you carry a, a tariff with you a number of years. And once those years are spent, you no longer have to declare that conviction except in very special circumstances. Oh, so good. for me, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that's a good thing, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, people... You know what I've found is that, uh, you know, I, I had a company called Dave's Color Bread. And Amazing. I, and uh, there was, at the time that I got out of it, there was about 300 employees and about a hundred of those were uh, ex-felons because of my wow. experience going to prison and turning my life around and getting out and making this bread and having all this success and finding, you know, being able to give back by 
giving others a chance to do something similar to what I've done. I mean, you, you've probably found that you're not the only one who's who's a good a good person that's an ex offender, right? Yeah, I mean that 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 was it for me. It was seeing. So my first job in prison was sewing together two hundred pairs of boxer shorts every day. So two hundred pairs. Uh, I had to do the hems. I had to do the the crotch. I had to do the elastic. It was just every day, day in day out. Um, it was you know probably the first time I've I've properly worked in life and and held a job down for three months. I did I did really well to keep that job. That's inspiring and work, right my, there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, but the guy to my right was actually inspiring. The guy to my right was uh -huh. a chap called Ralph, and he he was my line manager, and he was what I thought a typical ex-offender looks like. He was, you know, six foot tall, he had no hair, he was missing his teeth, he literally had a scar on his head and tattoos on his hands. He was what I, I you know, Hollywood couldn't find a better person to, to represent a, a, a prisoner in their movies. Um, and... Ralph was saying to me, you know, I've been in and out of prison all my life, Jacob. And he was the guy that had previously been addicted to drugs. Um, and he just said, you know, I'll never have the chances you've had because you've been to university, because you've held a job before, because you can talk quite well, you know, English-wise. And Andy says, um, because you've got parents who are going to support you when you get out. And there was a sense of envy in his voice, the fact that I had parents who were going to support me. And, and that, that was crippling. But it was, he didn't realize how much of a work ethic he had. He was my line manager. There was four other people doing my job. We were all doing 200 pairs of boxer shorts each. He was quality assessing all 1,000 every day. He was ensuring we got to our target. He was, you know, reporting it back to his, to the workshop staff to say, right, this batch is done, boss. And he would, he would, he would had, had such a, a work ethic. And Ralph was what, is who inspired me to start this company, um, Offploy. Well, let's talk about Ralph just a little bit. What, what was Ralph's um, beef? What, you know, what was his thing? Why was he in prison? And, and did he have a job before on the streets? Or do you know? No. Uh, Ralph was in and out of prison from the ages of 16 to 28. It was for petty crimes. It was for theft. It was for burglary. It was drugs-related. And yeah. it was because... Typical convict. You know, he style. was... Yeah, he, he'll get out homeless. He will leave this place homeless. And yeah. he will, you know, he doesn't think that he's this. He doesn't think <laughs> what I call a normal life is for him. Right. He, he thinks that's for the kids who finished school. That's for the kids who, who, who went to college. That's for the guys who have held down a job, who have done an apprenticeship. Hmm. He thinks it's, it's just like, but, I'm, but. I'm not being, he just doesn't think it's for him. I get it. That's his. That is his um, worldview, because he hasn't seen anything else. He he feels like he's less than un, incapable of getting to the point of being a um, a having a, tr a job where he's skilled or where he fits in somewhere because he's intelligent enough yeah. and all that. I mean, I was that way, even though I wasn't. I wasn't really. Wow. I, I, I in a way I was that way because. I didn't believe that I was very smart. I didn't believe I was very capable. I thought that I had a certain kind of smarts, but um, I didn't think that I could make anything really cool happen. And, um, you know, wow. the first thing that happened to me in prison was 
that was great was going to drafting. Um, I, I learned to trade, and which was it's really there's not enough of that in prison <laughs> because that education, which was a meaningful and practical education that taught me so much and made me believe in myself, mm. that changed my life, made me an excellent uh, designer. You know, I went out and I designed bread the same way that I designed other things in, in CAD, computer-aided drafting. So, uh, I mean, that's that's my story. You don't know my story, but um, yeah. I'm just thinking of this guy, Ralph, and I know you, yeah. you want to help these guys. I know I can tell in your voice and who you are, you have compassion for these people, and you understand that this can change the world by changing these folks and giving these yeah. guys opportunities. So what, did anything else happen with Ralph? Is he still in there? What's going on? Ralph, Ralph and I lost touch. I mean, I was released from prison probably six months after meeting Ralph. He had quite a bit of a stretch to go. You know, we, we didn't keep in touch. He was kind of the guy that sparked the idea off, and he's someone that I've tried to reach out to in the community and I've not been able to find. I'm absolutely frustrated at that. And, I, you know, if he is listening to this, get in touch, please. Like, that'd be amazing. Um, so you don't, have, you, even know, who, you don't even know how to get a hold of Ralph? No, no. Because I and think that's, it that's, sounds that's like somebody me. I'd like to go, hey, Ralph, come on, you can do this, you know? Yeah. Exactly. You exactly. saw the and work I'd love ethic. to know where he is now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if I bumped into him in the street tomorrow, I'd give him a job. I'd say, come on, let's do this. Absolutely. Uh, that's to say, if he isn't in one already. I mean, if, yeah. you know, you don't know that if there was a seed that was planted anywhere in his prison sentence, that this was the last time he had to go inside. You know, it's... Uh, you just hope, you pray that that's yeah. what's going to happen. I've seen so many great guys uh, and, and gals um, who, you know, had all this natural potential. It was all there, but every time they hit the streets, bam, it's back in the spoon. I would call it uh, out the gate by eight, back in the spoon by noon, meaning, you know, you're shooting dope again by <laughs> by noon and you're back in the pen by ten, you know. By ten. And, and <laughs> yeah. people with all this potential... They just throw, they just piss it away, you know. But, you know, I, I think yeah. it's important, Dave, that, that we also look at the fact that, you know, Jacob was in prison. I mean, we're, you know, this unlikely guy that gave him, you know, a tremendous amount of inspiration mm -hmm. was right there in prison. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, so yeah. the guys listening, the girls listening to us, think about that. You know, uh, yeah. listen to those guys and gals that have been in for a long time and don't have the chances that you do. Listen to what they say. They have some good stuff. To yeah, I was leading to that, actually, because what, you know, there's that dark side of people who waste it when they get out. They just don't have the outlook. They just can't quite see, hey, look, man, I could be happy the rest of my life. I mean, I could shoot, make choices that will keep me from living this way. Um, and so a guy like Ralph, we, we hope that, you know, I listen to him and I think, wow, I like this guy, Ralph. And then, you know, yeah. it can go either way. And uh, so anyway, um, that I've seen a lot of people turn it around and... You know, um, I love to see it. Even Lad can still turn it around. Not yet. I'm not ready. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, Jake, yeah, this so turn, is a real inspiration. So I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run my neck for just a second about 
uh, Ruby Receptionist. This is a new one. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com. That's callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up. Or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code. What is the promo code, lad? Can you... Startup Ruby. It's S-T-A-R-T-U-P-R-U-B-Y. And? Tell them David Ladd sent you, and guess what? You'll get $150 credit. Wow, Ladd. And you're supposed to do it like this, Dave. That's 833-861-8100. That's 833-861-8100. I hope I did better than that. (laughs) All right. Back to our friend Jacob. I already like Jacob because I can tell the guy um, cares about people. Uh, You know what I mean? And he cares about helping, helping out and making things better. So this was a startup for your business. This is the idea and where it came from. And it's also, Dave, important because you've said this before is that it does, it starts in there. It It starts where you're at right now. And this is what Jacob found out, that he had an idea right in prison. He took it from there and ran with it. So tell us about that. Is that right, Jacob? That's right. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I I started, I started putting pen to paper. Um, and you guys will know there's not many resources in prison. And so I was, I was using scrap paper. I was using, um, you know, I I really wanted to get a, a whiteboard in my prison cell, you know, like the big, uh, you know, pen, pen, whiteboard, dry wipe, all that stuff. And uh, I didn't get that, uh, but I did get lots of paper, which I stuck to my wall as a big blank wall and just started to write as many ideas as I could. Um, when I was, you know, the, the prison door was locked at 5.45 p.m. and it was opened at 8.30 a.m. and it was just me in that cell between that time um, for, for every night. And I, I worked like crazy for my last six months in the sentence. Um ringing people outside of the prison, uh, businesses that are already doing this. Uh, I had to get them added to my uh, prison kind of like permission phone book. And uh, I had friends and family send me in uh, pages from Google. And I would then circle the links on the Google page. And they would uh, then send me the websites from the links that I'd circled. It was a very slow response. Like you see at the bottom of Google, you know, Google found this response within one millionth of a second of your uh, of your uh, of your of you punching it in. Uh, mine was more like within two weeks of you you punching it in. Google's got this response for you, um, and we had to. You know, that's where I started this business plan. Uh, of friends and family, other prisoners, prison officers, all helping me put together what would become Offploy Community Interest Company. Now what's where are you at? Okay, you did. Let me ask you: Did you end up doing like nine and a half months? Is that what you ended up doing because you did really well, or, or did you yeah, end up? Yeah, doing I did more? nine and a half months. So no, you, no, I, I wasn't. I didn't all of a sudden turn bad. No, so you, was, yeah, uh, you did your minimum, that. and that's good. And then you yeah. were you were like, that's enough. I don't want to do. 
you know, yeah. I'm not going to keep playing this game. And, you know, yeah. um, so you're doing, you're just basically taking advantage of all your time that you're, you could otherwise be sitting there sulking or being pissed at the world, but instead you put your time to work. And the result yeah. is apparently uh, one thing, you're a speaker, public speaker, and I, you're good at it from what I can see. And um, you also do this thing called off ploy. Now tell us more about off ploy. Um, you know, tell us the genesis of it, uh, what you kind of did, but uh, yep. just tell us how it all came about and what you do. What I realized was there's, you know, there's very few resources going towards taking ex-prisoners and putting them into work. Now, employing someone significantly reduces reoffending. Um, I, I believe it's somewhere around 20 to 40 percent reoffending falls uh, if someone falls in, if someone goes into employment. Uh, if you get them a, a house and some good family links, that's like 70, 80 percent. You, you'll know that that if you surround people with suitable accommodation, a great support network, and a job, that is that is what kind of stops people going back inside and and helps them to start contributing to our society. I agree. Um, so I I, I I saw that. We were taking, at, at the best of times, at the best of times, and this is absolute peak, we were taking people with convictions and, and, and scattergunning approach then to employers, hoping one employer would take them, but the, the infrastructure wasn't there and the job didn't last and the employer became disenchanted with working with people who are coming out of prison because they're all chaotic and they, they don't stay around. And it, it, it's this approach, this is, this is what currently happened. This is what happened before we started off ploy. This is what the, the government provided or what other other charities provided. And, and I said, let's flip that around. And rather than starting with the prisoner or the ex-prisoner, let's start with the company, first of all, and let's support the company to feel comfortable and put the, the measures in place where they can sustainably recruit people with criminal convictions. And that doesn't happen overnight. And this is this is what Offploy does. So, so we take love it. through. I love it because yeah, this, yeah, part, this is something I've discovered. It's like, okay, you don't just throw things together. You don't just go, okay, they got 10, 10 convicts. Let's hire them all. No. You know, and what, mm. first of all, what have these guys been up to? You know, and what where what's changed about them um if you hire if you just do it haphazardly and you don't do it with thought and care and care you know um you end up with a lot of failures and i think what you're telling me is that you're avoiding a lot of failures right you're kind of making things work exactly and we're actually telling them that there are going to be failures and that's the that's the that's the, the, the change in all of this, that you're actually setting people's expectations. And you know what? They're always amazingly, pleasantly surprised by what they, what, what, what they find when, when you take an employer around a prison and you take around, like, the human resources department who, you know, they're the department that make the decision, but they're the most risk-averse people going in a company because they've got to think about lawsuits, they've got to think about stock being stolen, they've got to think about their customer image. The human resource department is the most risk-averse department. Yeah. When you take them around a prison and you introduce them to someone like Ralph, they, their world changes. And my best moment was 
we took this this head of HR for this huge company, like the trade on the stock market, quite big, um, and she was a redhead, uh, and uh, she she saw this guy who was just a little bit older than her kids in the arts department painting something, and he was painting something beautiful. I think it was, I think it was a. Is it Sinead O'Connor, the singer? I can't remember. Sorry, but he was painting something amazing. He was, he was, he was, and, and he was wearing his tracksuits. He was wearing the, you know, the way prisons, they identify people. And, sure. and he was wearing his scruffy tracksuits and his, his plain shirt. And, and he was this young redhead kid. Um, and I think for her, you know, she just crouched down by the side of him, watched him do the painting. And I saw tears in her eyes because she was thinking, this is someone's child in here. And, this person is going to be released and he's going to come to be a member of our community. And I think seeing that penny drop in the employers, letting them know that it's not going to be an easy ride and then helping them recruit people from the prisons and helping them train the people is, a, is, a, is an amazing transformational journey. And uh, employers need to do this now because you guys, you, you might have heard of Brexit where we're, we're leaving yeah. the European Union and we're now going to really struggle to recruit talent. So, uh, so Jacob, um, you know, Dave, you know, when he had his company and he employed about a third ex-felons in his company, it had a really big impact in the community that we live. Other businesses, was, you know, they were willing to take the chance that Dave was ch- taking. So I know you've built this business, but I'm kind of curious, um, when you first got the first business to go ahead and, and check this out, how has that led to other businesses bringing this on? It's really interesting that the first business we got on was actually, and, and you couldn't get much better than this, was a recruitment agency. So so like a, a middleman organization that purely deals with finding staff for other yeah. businesses. And um, so they came on board uh, and they have now been like one of the first recruitment agencies to ban the box. Uh, the states has banged the box. I think is it is it coming law over there, or is it is it law over there at the moment? Yes, uh-huh. some it uh, is in some places. Yeah, brilliant. Well, you know, we we're just adopting it as a country over here. We're really trying to put it through as law over here, which would be amazing for Steve. Um, but but we, you know, this this recruitment agency has banned the box. They no longer ask, do you have a criminal conviction at the application form stage? They wait till over at the interview stage, where they now ask a series of in-depth questions because at the moment it is tick a box and give me two sentences on what your offence is. Well, if you tick that box and say my offence was breaking and entering or burglary... They immediately turn them off, yeah. Yeah, there's no story there. You know, you could be breaking and entering into a commercial property which is unused and dilapidated because you're homeless and there's all these different reasons why. So, anyway, this company, they banned the box and now their clients coming on board uh, you know, we're, we're really struggling in the UK with staff at the moment. We've we've got incredibly low unemployment. Um, uh, you know, we do too. Way down, and uh, yeah, yeah, we have the too. same. We have the same dynamic here, and uh, there really is opportunity now. What what kind of opportunities for what interests me is do these guys have opportunities to um to learn a trade or you know because i mean that's kind of meaningful stuff mm. a meaningful opportunity absolutely yeah isn't uh, it just yeah well sorry go ahead no because i think that's that's what i'm working on here it's i'm i'm beginning to get focused i'm i'm doing my research into how I can, um, you know, 
for us, for instance, it's really hard to get an electrician, a plumber, you know, anybody to come to your house okay. and do some work. And it's like, well, yeah. to me, that's opportunity. That's a supply and demand problem. And I look Absolutely. at I look at all these guys, uh, you know, these people who, you know, they just need to get over that hump and start on this road to meaningful um, a meaningful life. And that yeah. is a good start right there. You know, a trade. Absolutely. I, Jacob, it's amazing for companies. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, um, it's just it's, what you're saying there, Dave, is it ties really perfectly into another thing that's happened in the UK where any employer who has a staff cost more than £3 million a year, um, they have to put a small pocket of money away aside and they have to invest that into long-term apprenticeships for people, uh, for anyone joining the business or in the business. Um, so you can bring someone into your business and you have to use a very small portion of that three million but to train your, your team members. So we can now have companies that are training people up in facilities management, in butchery, in uh, all these sorts of qualifications because they're losing that talent that they got from overseas. Um, so it's, it's, it's now a, a double-edged opportunity here that not only do they need talent, but they have to spend a certain amount of their payroll bill on on training their staff in apprenticeships, which is a long-term commitment from an employer. It's a life skill to have, and it makes you very employable when you leave that job. That is great. I that's think that's fantastic. a cool thing. I don't know if that'll happen here, but we can have, make it happen one way or another, and that's what I'm working on. I have to quickly say say a little bit here. Uh, we don't have much time, but uh, today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, like press releases, editorial pitches, and you know, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package that's right for the future of your business. Also, listeners, please, what does it say, lad? Please leave Felony Inc. podcast a review on iTunes. We might even read it on air. Motherfuckers. There you go. Okay. I had to say it for a lad because he's too much of a, w- a wiener to he, say it. Jacob, he puts these uh, bad words in there and expects me to read them, so I just stop, and he reads them. So we don't have much time, Jacob. I want to make sure we cover any thoughts that uh, you want to get out today, and of course, uh, I definitely want people to be able to check you out on the web, so I'm going to let you have the floor. Okay, so obviously, first of all, please check out our website. It's offploy.org, um, so O-F-F for Freddy, P-L-O-Y dot org. Um, I, I don't know if, I mean, I'm hoping people get the chance to listen to this whilst whilst in prison, whilst in custody, and, 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 and I'm hoping it, it gets out there to them, or, or people who have just been released who are listening to this thinking, what the chuff am I going to do for the rest of my life? You know, I've got this, this, this shame, this badge of dishonor around my neck, and I don't know, don't know what I'm doing going forward with it, but it really is, you know, people want someone who's driven, they want someone who's determined to work for them, they, they will choose character over skill and conviction, every day of the week because Absolutely. someone's willing to work and willing to make that difference. That's, There's a big that's, difference. That's powerful. Yeah. yeah when you... Absolutely. When, and that's... Go ahead. 
No, no, just please. Oh, I mean, you know, I was just going to paraphrase. When you, you know, when somebody is has, is in the transformation process and really believes and is willing to work hard and has a, is grateful and uh, humble, um, they are amazing. And, you know, that's that's really what this is about. And how can we take advantage of that, you know, as companies, as communities, as families? Um, these things are doable. So, yeah. Did I'm, you want to have? As, uh, as so, no, no, sorry. Just I'll, I'll finish up. But as okay. someone who, as someone who's got a conviction, you look at a, a CV when when you're an employer, and you look at what people have done, and, and a lot of people have have just worked from job to job to job to job, and they've, they've taken their one, their two, or their four week holiday a year. They've, They've done that stuff, you know. Every now and again, there's someone interesting who comes along who's travelled the world, who's got all this life experience, and employers really get into that and say, like, what, what have you learned from all of this? Going to prison is a very similar opportunity, and I know that sounds, sounds a, a bit out there, but exactly right. I have never met so many interesting people from inside prison who have stories, who have life stories, who have tread a path that I've never walked. And, and as an employer, I would be in awe of someone who's been through all that crap and still managed to come out on the other side and sit before me and say, I'd like a job because I'm going to make it work for you. And it's just, yeah, use it, use it. Yeah, and those people, it's all about what, you know, speaking to the folks in prison and the folks who love people in prison and such, the, the, the advice that I have, and I'm sure that Jacob would agree, is to start working right now on yourself and be ready for these kind of opportunities because we're looking some of us out here really want to give you those opportunities and you just have mm -hmm. to be ready for those right you agree with me jacob I need, absolutely i, need I you agree to agree with i couldn't you, agree more <laughs> well you know what? i agree with you i completely agree with you <laughs> <laughs> The lad was going to say something stupid. Well, you know, I, I'm kind of fascinated with Ralph, you know, and, and I hope that someday you get a chance to meet him and yeah. tell him Ralph personally a story. What, a, what an inspiration he was yeah. to you and, and what you've done with what he showed you. We could tell that, Ra that Ralph had a great uh, effect on you, and I, that's very cool, you know. I, I can tell that you're passionate about this, um, and I wish yeah. you all the best, man. I really do. Amazing. We'll have to Thank stay in touch so because we're, we're doing similar things uh, over here in the U.S. So uh, let's stay in touch and learn from each other and help each other, okay? That would be amazing for us. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, next week, our guest is Sean Strickland of Plug and Play and his buddy. Uh, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's got a partner that's going to be here, too. Uh, and... Uh, you know, they say this, we provide the solution for individuals who have the passion to own their own business, become financially independent, and control their own destiny. So, That's ahead. right. And coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your host, Edgar Navas and Claudia Cardenas. Their podcast is usually in Spanish, so que pasa con mis hermanos y hermanos. Stay in touch, Jacob. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.